I told our tech guy, I told Jake, you know, I told Josh, these, you know, just in that moment when, when the music went out, Josh reminded me in two years, being a church on the move that has to set up and tear down everywhere we go, in two years, that's the first time that's ever happened, where everything just went out like that. Which, once again, like that's God's hand on this church, that blessing. But even in that moment, I, I told Nevin, who is, you know, you kind of saw him scrambling back here. He's one of our tech guys, one of our main tech guys, does so much for us uh, in that area. But I told him, I said, I think that was one of the greatest blessings for us. I think too easy, it, it's too easy and too often we just fall into a routine. And sometimes God just wants to break that off of us and say, there should be nothing that's routine about worshiping me. Every time you come into his presence, it shouldn't feel like a routine. It shouldn't feel easy. It shouldn't feel like the same old thing. And I, I really believe that was just him coming in in that moment and saying, no, no, no. I want to interrupt this place. I want to interrupt what you thought was going to happen here today. And I'm going to do something different. I really believe he's got something different for us today. There was already moments of freedom even before the service started. There, we had moments of prayer happening where there's just things being broken off of people, being broken off their lives. And that's my prayer for today, that he would just come in and interrupt everything that we thought needed to happen, that we wanted to try to plan, that we wanted to try to do, that we wanted to try to bring into this space today, and that it would just all be from him. So we've been in this series called Sow, Sit, Wait, and Reap. And it's a hard concept unless you're a farmer. But for us, we think we, if you're sowing seed, you want the harvest. You're sowing seed, you want the harvest right away. When God tells us to sow, when he tells us to sow a seed, whether it's with our wealth or with our words, we want to see the results right away. You can sow with your wealth and your words. He calls us to do that. He calls us to sow seed with the provision he's given us. Everything comes from him. He's the creator of all things. So it doesn't matter what job you have, just so you know. Uh, it's not, we, we think in these terms too often. We think, oh, it's my money. I can do with it what I want. No, no, no. He's the provider. He's given you breath. Everything is his. And so that's the first thing that we need to break off today. It's not ours. Everything we have is a gift from him. Whether you have a lot or a little in this world, it doesn't matter. It comes from him. And all he asks us to do as his sons and daughters is to give him one-tenth. We see that all throughout Scripture. And that's one of the hardest things for us as believers today to get past. So, well, no, 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 it's mine. I earned it. I did the work. And God doesn't need our money. He wants us to walk in freedom. And so when we begin to sow seed and we begin to give it away like he's commanded us to, it's not because he needs our money. It's because he wants to break the world off of us. We keep holding on and grasping to it. And the world becomes an idol. The wealth becomes an idol. Everything in it, we keep chasing after more because that's what we see. But when we begin to give, when we begin to sow seed, it breaks the power the world has over us. That's why we give. That's why we sow seed. 
the words he gives us, sometimes he gives you a word. Some of you in here, you know, he's given you a word. You felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life to give a word to somebody. And what you did was you stuffed that word down and you said, no, 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 I don't want to give that word. Because if I give that word, if I say that thing to this person, it might hurt their feelings. It, it might offend them because we live in an easily offended world. Everybody's offended by something. Everybody's a victim nowadays. Everybody wants to be a victim. Everybody wants to be offended. Everybody's looking to be offended. As believers, we have to be unoffendable. And we can't be fearful of being offensive. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. We talk about this verse a lot. We think we're just supposed to keep the peace because that's what Jesus said. No, no, no. That's never what he said. You're a peacemaker. And that means sometimes you got to go and make something happen. You got to go and sow the seed. Give the word that he's given you to give to somebody because you've seen what's going on. You know what they're in. You know the darkness that is swallowing them up. And sometimes they can't see it until somebody sows the seed of the word and brings light and brings revelation into that moment. But we're afraid because in the moment we know this might hurt their feelings. This might tick them off. This might make them really angry. They may not like me after I sow this seed, after I give them this word. And we just think, no, 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 Jesus just wants me to be a peacekeeper. He just wants me to stay quiet. No, 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 he never said stay quiet. No. Go and make disciples. Be a peacemaker. It's a difficult thing to sow those seeds. I know there's words that he's given me to give people in my life. And some of them I've held on to recently. I've said, no, no, I, that's, that's going to be offensive. That's going to be hurtful. That's going to be harmful. It won't be good right away, but it'll be good in the long run. That's what a farmer knows. When a farmer sows seed, it's not going to come right up. When a farmer sows seed, it's not going to be a harvest in 24 hours. You're going to have to wait on the harvest. It might be rough. It might be a little difficult. It, it might be hard for a month. It might be hard for years. After you sow that seed, after you give that word that God's given you to give. And so that fear gets inside of you and you say, no, 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 it's not worth it. But let me tell you something. If you would sow that seed, there's going to be a harvest coming. You don't know when, you don't know where, but all he says is just wait and watch me work. Sow the seed and be obedient and give the words I've given you to give. We're his hands and feet. We're the body. Sometimes we just think we can just kind of sit back and God's got this. He's got everything. I don't really need to do anything. No, no, no. He's called us to be active in the kingdom. He's given us spiritual authority to carry through this world. In fact, he's given us the keys. And as we continue to walk in our spiritual authority, we continue to gain keys. And he gives us the keys to freedom for people. There's keys he's given you already in your life that he has used you to help bring freedom in somebody else's life. For me, I, you know, I, I talk about my story pretty often here, but I'll, I'll share it again. Uh, there were moments in my life that I thought I would never get free truly from the corner of darkness in my heart that I had, that I had hidden from the world, that I had hidden from my friends at church, from my community, there were moments in my life that I thought, I will never walk in freedom from this. But as I continued to follow him and I continued 
to learn and grow, and the Holy Spirit continued to do a work in me, he showed me that there was real freedom to walk in in that area. He showed me the keys to freedom in that area of sexual morality in my life that I thought, I, I, I can't break this off of my life. I'll never get free from this. This is an addiction. And as I found those keys, as he showed me what they were, he's used me to share those keys with others. And he's shown me that the keys to addiction, they really all come back to the same place. They all come back to a place of hurt. We've been hurt, and so we try to cope with our sin. We try to cope with our pain through what the world offers. And it leads us into addiction. It doesn't matter if it's sex, drugs, whatever it is. I, it doesn't matter. It's all coming back to the same thing. We're just trying to cope with the pain that this world causes. But he's given us the keys to freedom, and he's called us to share those keys with others, to sow that seed, to give those words, and to trust that when you sow the seed, he's going to make the growth happen. And so it might be rough for a season. There might be some relationships that get a little rocky because you say something that the world would tell you not to say, but the Lord told you to say it, and so you are going to be obedient to him and not what the world says. But eventually, there'll come a day when you're going to look back and you're going to see how that seed has grown. And in fact, those people that you're sowing the seed into, they might even look back and they might even come back to you someday and say, hey, I hated you in the moment, but that word you gave me, it's brought more freedom in my life than I ever thought possible. I didn't know that I could experience this kind of freedom. He wants to set people free today. 2 Kings 6 2 Kings 6, verse 24. We're going back to the Old Testament here. Sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's Dung sold for five pieces of silver. This is what people were eating. This is how bad this famine was. You had to pay 80 pieces of silver for a donkey's head. I mean, just think about the human head. There's not a lot of meat on there, right? There's not. This is how desperate they were. They're eating dove dung. That's not a delicacy in any country, all right? That's just dung anywhere you go. And you had to pay five pieces of silver for that. One day as the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city, a woman called to him, please help me, my lord, the king. He answered, if the Lord doesn't help you, what can I do? If the Lord doesn't help you, what can I do? This king was in a hopeless place. He didn't see any hope. If the Lord's not helping us, what can I do? I have neither food from the threshing floor nor wine from the press to give you. But then the king asked, what is the matter? She replied, this woman said to me, come on, let's eat your son today. Then we will eat my son tomorrow. This is one of the saddest stories. There's a lot of sad stories, but this is one of the saddest. 
So we cooked my son and ate him. Then the next day I said to her, kill your son so we can eat him. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard this, he tore his clothes in despair. This is one of the darkest moments for, for things to get this bad that you're that desperate. We can't even imagine that kind of darkness. But I want us to sit in this place for a moment to put yourself in, the, to put yourself in that situation. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to survive on. This is what it's come to, to kill your own flesh and blood to eat. The king, he tore his clothes in despair. And as the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing burlap under his robe next to his skin. May God strike me and even kill me if I don't separate Elisha's head from his shoulders this very day, the king vowed. Elisha was a prophet of the Lord. When things are bad, what do we do? We want to blame somebody, right? When things aren't going the way we thought they would, we want to find somebody to put the blame on. The closest thing to God was this prophet, Elisha. This guy was mad at God. He was mad for the situation his people, his family, the city was in. And he's angry at God, and so he wants to hurt God. So he wants to go after his prophet. He wants to separate Elisha's head from his shoulders this very day. Elisha was sitting in his house with the elders of Israel when the king sent a messenger to summon him. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, once again, he's a prophet. He knows what's coming. The Lord's told him, a murderer has sent a man to cut off my head. When he arrives, shut the door and keep him out. We will soon hear his master's steps following him. While Elisha was still saying this, the messenger arrived. And the king said, all this misery is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? All this misery is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? There's people here today, that's where you're at. Everything going wrong. Everything in your life not looking the way that you wanted it to. Everything not lining up how you thought it was going to. You're just waiting and waiting, and you're looking at the misery that you are surrounded in. And you're saying, what, what good is it to worship God? He hasn't delivered on this. He hasn't come through here. He hasn't done what I thought he was going to do. You're in the waiting season. Some of you, you've sown, you've sown seeds in your life. And in the waiting, you've grown discouraged. You're ready to quit. You're ready to be done. You're ready to turn your back on him, to blame him for everything that's happened. so focused on what we can see. We're focused on the fight and the conflict in our marriage. The misery we're feeling. 
We're beginning to believe the lies from Satan that this misery comes from the Lord and that following his word isn't worth it anymore. That the girl from your office who gives you attention or that old boyfriend, that old flame on Facebook who keeps liking your pictures and messaging you, that they're the answer to your misery that you're in in this relationship right here, right now. There's somebody in here that needed that word today. They are the relief that you need. You've come to believe that lie from the enemy. They're the answer to your problems. We keep believing the enemy's lies and what he tries to offer us in this world, and we keep blaming God when we should be worshiping him. Why should we wait on the Lord any longer when we can take things into our own hands? That's what we want to do. When we feel the misery, when we feel the darkness surrounding and the doubt creeping in, we say, no, 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 I'm not going to wait on the Lord anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do what I think is going to make things right and what's going to make me feel better. Don't believe the lie. Chapter 7, verse 1. Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. Each and every one of us right here, this is a message from the Lord for us. It's still for us today. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of flour, choice flour, will cost only one piece of silver. One piece of silver. All of a sudden, the economy is going to shift, and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. All of a sudden, there's going to be food in the marketplace again. All of a sudden, there's going to be provision here again. And the officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. You won't be able to experience it. You'll see it, but you won't taste it. That's what happens when we stop short. That's what happens when we stop waiting. That's what happens when we try to, when we try to take things into our own hands. In those seasons of misery, where you're just looking around at what you can see, touch, and feel, and you lose faith that things are ever going to get better, you take your eyes off the Lord, and you put your eyes on the world, and you believe the lies of Satan. And you believe what he offers is going to fix what's broken within you or what's wrong within you. And he gets you to stop short. And when you stop short, you can see what could have been, but you don't get to experience it. There's a passage in the New Testament where Jesus talks about this, Abraham's bosom. Sorry, this one's just coming to me right now, so I don't have this scripture for you. But a man dies who is wealthy in this world. He had lots of things. And another man dies who is poor. He had nothing. And they're across this chasm, but they can see each other. And the wealthy man, he's in hell. He had everything in this world, but all he cared about was the world. And he could see across the chasm this other man at Abraham's bosom in peace, no pain, nothing. He can see what he missed out on. He can see it, but he can't experience it. That's what happens when we stop short. That's what, when we stop waiting on the Lord, 
and we start taking things into our own hands, and we say, I don't need the Lord. He hasn't done what I wanted him to do. Good. Thank him for not doing what you wanted him to do. Do you know how many times I haven't done what my kids wanted me to do? It's a good thing, because they wouldn't be alive today if I did every little thing they wanted to do. They wouldn't. It's not good for them. They'd be 500 pounds obese. They wouldn't be healthy. I mean, it would just be terrible if I let them do everything they wanted to do. God knows better. He's a good father. He loves each and every one of us here right now. Trust him and continue to wait on him. Trust his provision over the world's provision. John 20, verse 29 says this. This after Jesus rose from the grave. And there's one disciple. He gets a bad rap, but, you know, there's a reason. Doubting Thomas. Thomas had to see it for himself. After he saw Jesus for himself and he touched his wounds, Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. There's a blessing for those who continue to wait who continue to go forward in faith, who do not doubt. And it's okay. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to have doubts, but don't live in your doubts. Don't let your doubts control you. Walk in faith and continue to wait on him because he's a good father and he always delivers. There's too many times that we applaud skepticism. We applaud the doubters in our world, the scoffers. They get clout on social media. They get recognition. They get fame for being jaded, for bringing doubt to God's word. There's, there's theologians and pastors out there that continue to dissect and tear apart God's word right now. And they want you to doubt sections and parts and certain areas of it. Let me tell you something. His word is perfect. Don't let the doubters get a foothold in your life. Don't stop short. The devil loves this season when we begin to doubt because he knows doubt is the first step to quitting. When things get hard, things get busy, things get miserable, things get scary, things get out of control, it feels like everything's crashing in around you. When the doubts are creeping in and you're beginning to ask yourself, is God really going to do it? Is he really going to provide? Is he really going to come through? Does he love me? Does he care? Does he hear me? Does he see me in this season? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The more the enemy tries to whisper doubts to you, the more we need to lean in and draw near to him. 
You sowed, you've sat, you've waited, and you've waited, and you've waited, and you've waited, and now you're ready to quit, but don't stop waiting. Start worshiping. Worship while you wait. Praise his name. Write down every victory he's given you. That's what I have to do in this season. These last two weeks, there's been a lot of moments. I've got a lot of doubts and a lot of fear creeping in about what's going to happen in the future. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I believe he's going to do it. And all I can do is worship because worship rewires everything within me. The world wants me to doubt, but worship rewires me back into alignment with his word. We have to worship while we wait. He's given you worship as a weapon in this season. Write down every time he's delivered you and worship him for it. Be thankful for it. Don't forget those moments. That's why we tell you here at Revival, you need a journal. You need a journal so you can go back and you can look at every moment and every time he has delivered you. It'll give you faith to keep going forward in the waiting. Write down those victories and look back on them in these seasons. He's healed and he has brought you out of darkness and into life. Don't forget that. Believe for it again. Don't stop waiting. Start worshiping. 2 Kings 7 verse 3. Now, there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. We'll starve if we wait. We'll starve if we go back. It doesn't matter what we do. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. That's the kind of faith we need, just so you know. That's faith that you're not looking to tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. If we die anyway, who cares? We were going to die no matter what. Let's go forward by faith. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clattering of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sound of a great army approaching. This is a miracle. This is the Lord doing this. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked, and they ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. When the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine. They weren't eating donkey's heads. They were eating the good stuff. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they hid it. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. These were lepers. These were outcasts. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. They had every reason to just go and do what they wanted. They had every reason to just take this divine provision for themselves and say, we're not going to share it with anyone, but they knew that wasn't right. We need to share it with everyone. Some of you, you felt like a leper your whole life. But when Jesus found you, when he invited you in and you said yes to him for the first time, you knew it was divine. When you felt the Holy Spirit fill you for that first time. Did you want to just hold it to yourself or did you want to share it with everyone? I think there's moments 
We just keep holding it in to ourselves, and we're like these lepers, and we're sitting at the camp, and we've been given everything, and we tell nobody. He's given us the keys to the kingdom. He's given us freedom. He's given us spiritual authority. And we just hide out by ourselves, and we tell nobody. Share it with everyone. So they went back to the city and they told the gatekeepers what had happened. We went out to the Aramean camp, they said, and no one was there. The horses and donkeys were tethered and the tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. Then the gatekeeper shouted the news to the people in the palace. The king got out of bed in the middle of the night and told his officers, I know what has happened. The Arameans know we are starving, so they have left their camp and have hidden in the fields. They are expecting us to leave the city and then they will take us alive and capture the city. One of his officers replied, we better send out scouts to check into this. Let them take five of the remaining horses. If something happens to them, it'll be no worse than if they stay here and die with the rest of us. So two chariots with horses were prepared, and the king sent scouts to see what had happened to the Aramean army. They went all the way to the Jordan River, following the trail of clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their mad rush to escape. The scouts returned and told the king about it. Then the people of Samaria, they rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. So it was true. Six quarts of choice flour were sold that day for one piece of silver. And 12 quarts of barley grain were sold for one piece of silver, just as the Lord had promised. The king appointed his officer to control the traffic at the gate. But he was knocked down and trampled to death as the people rushed out. There's no reward for doubt. You get to see it, but you don't get to experience it. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. The man of God had said to the king, by this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost one piece of silver and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost one piece of silver. The king's officer had replied, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. And the man of God had said, you will see it happen with your own eyes but you won't be able to eat any of it. And so it was for the people trampled him to death at the gate. I don't want to see it happen and miss out on it. I don't want to see someone else Receive the blessing I was supposed to receive because I stopped short. I don't want to see our church stop short and miss out on what God wanted to do. I don't want to be those women that were so desperate for a meal that she ate her own son with her friend. They stopped waiting. If they could have held on one more day, her son would still be with her. They were so worried at what they could see. They were so worried 
They kept their eyes on their lack of provision and they tucked their eyes off the provider. Don't stop waiting. Worship is a recalibration. It's a moment when we realign with his word and his will to praise the one who gave us life, who's the provider. He created you. He breathed life into us. He formed us in the mother's womb. Worship, worship is a rewiring to remind us of who he is and who we are. We're the creation, not the creator. He called us to worship the creator, not the creation. But too often, we spend all of our time and our talent and our treasure on the things of this world, on creation. And we take our eyes off the creator. Worship is warfare. It's a mind war against the enemy to take captive the thoughts he tries to plant, to get us to quit, to get us to stop short. The lies he tells us, we counter them with the truth of God's word through declaration and worship. That's why we worship and praise. And worship is not about a feeling or an emotion because there's a lot of times you're going to come in here on a Sunday morning and you're not going to feel like giving him your hands. You're not going to feel like dropping on your knees. You're not going to feel like declaring or singing out that he is good and that we are thankful because all you can see is what's around you. But worship is a moment to take your eyes off what you can see and put your eyes on the unseen to remember who he is. To remember that he's the provider and he's the only one who's come and he made a way. Don't stop short. Don't stop waiting. I don't know the season that you're in. But I love this quote from Bill Johnson, pastor at Bethel. The intensity of your worship needs to match the darkness of the hour in your life. The intensity of your worship needs to match the darkness of the hour in your life. That's countercultural. When we're experiencing darkness, what do we do? In our world, we tell people, ah, oh, you know, just maybe try this, try this. This will make you feel better. Don't think about it. Go do, you know, go do something. Treat yourself, right? Go treat yourself. Then you'll feel better. You just need to get numb a little bit. You need to get, take your mind off of what's going on in the dark season that you're in. No, 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 you need to worship more intensely than you ever worshiped in your life. You need to worship like your life depends on it because it does. This life is a speck on the line of eternity. If you stop waiting on him and you start, start believing in what the world has to offer, you miss out on the blessing that he wanted to give you. Worship team, I'm going to invite you guys up as we close out here. First Thessalonians 5, verse 16. That's what Paul says. Always be joyful. Not sometimes. Not when things are going well. Always. Verse 17. Never stop praying. 
Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. In every season, no matter how dark it is, you have a choice. You can choose to be thankful or you can choose to be bitter and angry and mad and turn your back on him. But if you turn your back on him, you're turning your back on the only one who can provide a way out. You turn your back on the blessing. You turn your back on freedom. You turn your back on the miracle. Verse 19, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. This is for doubters, right? Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. If we're not joyful, if we're not praying, if we're not thankful, we're stifling the Holy Spirit. If we are scoffing at prophecies, we're stifling the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit seems quiet in your life, ask him, where have I scoffed? Where have I doubted? Where, where did I stop listening to you and start listening to the world? Attest everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. That, that's a word for quenching the fire. A fire needs fuel. When the fire dies down, it's because the logs have burned out. You have to add another log. When we worship and we give thanks instead of grumbling and complaining and being bitter about a difficulty or a dark season, when we choose to worship in those moments, we are feeding the fire. We're throwing logs on the fire. We're going to throw some logs on the fire right here. There's some freedom that's going to happen for people today. And if you need prayer, if you need to repent, if you need to confess, come find me, come find one of our pastors, come find somebody on our prayer team over here in one of these green spaces. Throw some logs on the fire today. Worship and praise and give thanks. Choose, choose to worship him.